1: We've got Senator Kevin Kramer, great friend, Republican of North Dakota, member of the Armed Services Committee. Senator Kramer, first of all, happy and holy Easter, sir.
0: Happy and holy Easter to you, Larry, and and happy Passover to to those that celebrate that great holiday that, of course, is directly related um, to the Easter, Easter holiday. And having the
1: two fall on the same day and the same weekend, I think is pretty special. It is very special. It's a great point. Very special. Um, sir, I want to talk to you about a couple of things: Ukraine and energy policy. Let me start us off on the Ukraine. Um, there's a there was a story out so that Ukrainians sunk this big uh, Russian battleship, whatever it is, the Moskva Moskva, whatever it is, uh, which was a heck of a thing. But there's then a- there was some talk in the press and not confirmed, but there's a headline story. Uh, Ukrainian experts worry sunken Russian warship was carrying nukes. Sunken Russian warship Moskva, which was destroyed by a Ukrainian missile strike, may have been carrying nukes when it went down, some experts warned Friday. Now, that is not confirmed by U.S. intelligence, Mm -hmm. but I just wondered if you had any thoughts on it.
0: Well, I have a lot of thoughts on on the possibility, Larry. Because one of the things that I think a lot of I think a lot of people have a basic understanding of the fact that um, since World War II, you know. The- the START treaties and the New START treaties that, that involve the large land-based you know, nuclear missiles and, of course, the, the other parts of the triad, the submarines and, and uh, bombers, that, that, that there's a, been a, you know, agreements made, right? And we have a pretty good accounting of, of, of large nuclear weapons. The problem is there's a very different doctrine. With regard to nuclear weapons in Russia versus the United States, Russia has something like a couple of thousand of these small more smallish nuclear missiles that are more what they consider part of their of their traditional, if you will, um, weapon systems. Um, and so, you know, we have like 200. They have 2,000. They are not part of their START treaty. It's, again, part of their conventional weapons system doctrine. And that's a very different thing, Larry. We have to always keep that in mind. I don't know whether, whether this boat would have been carrying those or not. Um, at this point, nothing would surprise me about Vladimir Putin. He de- does appear to be a very desperate, isolated dictator uh, that's... Uh, got his back up against the wall, if you will, and his personal pride in, in, on the global stage is on the line. So um, but I would think that before long, investigators will be able to determine whether or not, you know, such a weapon was on that that stunk ship. All right. Well,
1: it's potentially a very big story. That's um, well, the latest round of weapon sales to Ukraine. The Bidens are they're gradually getting to where they should be, but I'm not an expert on this. How do you read it?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, so everything that Joe Biden's done that's right, he's done very late, mm-hmm. and it's 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 always done after a lot of pressures applied, oftentimes by a bipartisan, uh, you know, Congress. Many Democrats in the at least in the Senate that I know are, you know, are wishing that Joe Biden would step it up a, a, a bit and f- would have from the beginning, including, you know. Uh, Pre-pre invasion sanctions, for example. Remember, it goes all the way back to that, where he didn't want to do sanctions before the before the invasion. He wanted to wait till there's invasion to shut down Nord Stream two. And same has been true of of the various weapon systems and and the more advanced systems that they've been asking for. Uh, it, it seems it takes democrats and republicans to apply that pressure before he actually does it and i don't want to oversimplify his job as commander-in-chief larry but it doesn't take uh you know it doesn't take a a four-star general with a whole bunch of three stars advising him to realize that this is a war that ukraine can win um but we need to have a commitment to helping ukraine win that war and that is those are words you don't hear coming from even the highest-ranking military officials in the, the Biden administration—it's almost as though they had a predetermined outcome of a uh, loss for Ukraine, and we would do a, just enough to look like we're helping. Um, we need to get all in in terms of providing the systems that they need, that they say that they need, that we're able to provide them. And at the at the same time, Larry and and his budget certainly does not reflect this. We need to be restocking our own weapon systems mm. and be prepared um, for you know for, for whatever might come preferably prepare prepare for peace. Uh, And you can't do that from a position of weakness.
1: You know, um, the Russian chess master, former Russian chess master, Gary Kasparov, and human rights advocate who's tangled with Putin in Russia. He lives in the U.S. now. He said on on my Fox Business show about two weeks ago, if Ukraine wins, Putin's gone. If Ukraine wins, Putin... Gone, One way or the other, he'll be thrown out. And it seems to me it would be a good thing if we had a clear statement from President Biden that we want Ukraine to win. We want them to boot out all of the Russian troops. I don't know what they're waiting for.
0: So, Larry, this is one of the things that confounds me and I think a lot of observers and a lot of Americans. Why Why is it so difficult to say that? I mean, why would we be helping fund the um, Ukrainian military? Why would we be so engaged with NATO? And, and why would we be putting sanctions on Russia if our goal isn't for Ukraine to win this war? I mean, in many respects, you don't get the luxury of helping one side win and then being neutral. It, it makes zero sense diplomatically. I don't see how you get anything out of that. So, but, but you know, confounding statements are kind of the norm with this White House. Obviously, mm-hmm. every day you know you hear another thing coming from the White House, and you scratch your head and you go, "What? What was that?" You know. So, I don't know if we're expecting too much when we expect a clear message from Joe Biden. Yeah, that's
1: just it's such a vexing problem. And the the other part of the Senator Kramer is that. Um, a Ukrainian victory and if Putin is overthrown in Moscow and so forth but it seems to me that would send a tremendous tough signal to uh Chinese president Xi I mean we have to be we have to be aware and sensitive that that this battle in Ukraine will have a major impact on what she does what he thinks he can do with respect to Taiwan and also, you know, with respect to American territories in the Pacific and so forth. So, again, it, it seems to me that all of Biden's focus of foreign policy right now should be a Ukrainian victory.
0: There's no question, Larry. Everything you state is exactly on point, and it is why, in many respects, Joe Biden's getting sort of lucky in the fact that the Ukrainians themselves are able to hold Putin at bay and and even fight back in pretty enormous ways, and perhaps even— position to win this war and, and and all of that has already sent a pretty strong message I think to president Xi and 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 as well as to our allies in the Pacific and including Taiwan where the unthinkable is actually happening and so that's that 's going to have an impact but so much more would the impact be if our president spoke you know, specifically, deliberately, and strongly about a Ukrainian victory and does everything we can to help that occur, that would give a great sense of comfort to our allies, Taiwan and others in the South Pacific, and, and equally a strong message to our adversary, uh, Xi Jinping. And And I just... Again, I don't know what he's waiting for. Um, Part part of me worries that he doesn't actually have the same conviction. Um, Larry, I, I, I actually I look at his budget, I look at his his energy policy, I look at Build Back Better, and I look at. Their their coziness, not just coziness, but their large strain of of socialism that runs through the Democratic Party, and I sort of wonder who they sympathize with. Mm-hmm. In, in many respects, it sounds awful thing, like an awful thing to say, but uh, I don't know how you can you can take it, you know, any other way. His absolute lack of conviction about the values that are that are American values versus these more socialist values.
1: We're talking to Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota, who is a member of the Senate Armed Services Committee. Senator, how do you read now the the battleground itself? Uh, it looks like a, a big fight is brewing in eastern Ukraine, Donbass region, but also I'm reading reports now that um, the Russians have resumed bombing of Kiev. How do you read this um, situation? So it certainly appears to me like, um Vladimir Putin is he he continues to sort of play
0: like he's interested in diplomacy at least mildly interested at, at the same time his actions don't you know provide any evidence to support that uh, th- there was the you know the talk of repositioning troops away from Kyiv and um there was even some early indication that might be the case and yet we don't really see that happening um I don't think there's any question that that he's still looking for the best strategy to take the government. In other words, it's one thing to go get Bombas and and and, and some of the other eastern Ukraine, some of the other key areas that, that he he obviously wants. Um, but I think at the end of the day, he wants the government, um, and the only way to get the government is to get Kiev. And and I think we have to proceed along those lines. You know, every every talk is important to have. Um, you know, if there's if there's a, a an opportunity. Um, for a ceasefire of some sort, that's fine, but we got to enter into it, but make no mistake, I think Vladimir Putin has determined his desired outcome, and I'm not sure he's willing to settle for anything less than that at this point.
1: Senator, if you'd be kind enough, I've got to take a quick commercial break. On the other side, I want to talk to you about energy policy. Uh, Biden has announced some additional lease sales on federal lands. We want to talk about that, and I might add, Despite the strategic petroleum reserve announcement, the oil price is back to one hundred and seven dollars a barrel. Yes, indeed. You're sitting there in the Bakken area, so we'll be right back, folks. We have Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota. I'm Larry Kudlow. We'll be right back. Now back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're here with Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota, a member of the Armed Services Committee. And North Dakota is home to the Bakken Reservoir, I'm going to call it, the Bakken Reservoir. So Senator Kramer, President Biden announces lease sales, federal lands, lease sales on federal. He's going to resume them, but he's mm-hmm. reducing the acreage. He's going to raise the royalties. <laughs> I, want, I want to say that no, we can't do this straight. <laughs> I, I want to not. just I want to just add uh, to that all uh, prices. West Texas is one oh six fifty four,
0: mm-hmm. so the
1: Spro uh, sale thing hasn't worked out. Brent crude is one eleven seventy, and also here's one that doesn't get enough attention: natural gas prices now seven dollars and thirty two cents. That mm-hmm. is a big number. Yes, that it number is. was that number was close to four dollars. Uh, I don't know six weeks ago. So what do you make? Has Biden had a change of heart on energy policy? you know uh, no <laughs> what i
0: think Biden has done is he's, figured, he's trying to figure out the politics of it so on the one hand he wants to continually you know play to to as i like to call her speaker aoc and prime minister bernie sanders rhetoric and on the other hand he wants to say we need to you know we need to produce more american energy and so he he creates one incentive and then throws in two disincentives in the same action and it, just take the leases as an example, Larry. I mean, he, he, remember he used that crazy term. There's nine thousand leases not yes. being used. You know, that represents I don't know, a, a, really a small percentage of all of the leases. Doesn't recognize that 2,200 of those leases are currently in litigation by liberal NGOs, non-government organizations that that, that don't want any drilling. Uh, he's done nothing about that. Uh, n- never mind that he's more than doubled now the days it takes to, for an application for a permanent to drill on federal land to actually become a permit to drill on federal land and then you throw in you, 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 rightfully of course the, the changing of the, the royalties um you, you, you just you can't make it up he creates all the wrong incentives um and and, and frankly at the same time he goes to despots in places like Venezuela and Iran or, you know Venezuela and uh, and uh, Saudi Arabia and other places Iran uh, even to, to you know, find more oil, or get them to produce more oil. Russia, obviously, we've we've pretty well shut them off when it comes to oil to the United States of America. However, um, I think my friend Pat Toomey, chairman of the banking committee that I serve on, he has a great piece in the, in the Wall Street Journal where he says we need secondary sanctions. And what that means is that we need to make sure that they can't sell their oil anywhere. Because as long as they can go through a smaller bank that's not being sanctioned by the United States, sell to another country that will buy it in, you know, using rubles or some, some other currency uh, that's not under the, the uh, direct sanctions – they're still able to fund their war machine and, and get their oil out. So it's all bad. None of it has a good outcome. And uh, the best thing he can do is, is, you know, get back to. You know, when you when you when you and I were working on this stuff when you were in the White House, remember, oil went it went negative. It, it mm-hmm. wasn't very long ago. It went negative. The, the right incentives and the right messages, the right signals to the markets, can create a much more balancing point. You just listed, for example. What I think was about a $5 difference between WTI and Brent. For, for people that may not know what that means, prior to us raising or lifting the export ban, you may not, you know, in 2015, you still could not export oil in the United States. While we were overproducing much more than we needed here, we were still not able to, to uh, export. Once we got that done and that ban was lifted, you went from about a $30 difference between the international price, Brent and WTI, to now what is a $5. And most of the time, Larry, it's within about $3. Mm -hmm. What that is, is that's the United States and our production bringing price down and and being the price maker instead of the price taker. There's so many ramifications to this policy, this policy, uh, not to mention we produce it cleaner than most.
1: I mean, the sense I get, Senator Kramer, is that any steps that Biden is taking now Uh, to loosen up energy policy are really just temporary that actually his, I think their vision. Remember, we had this thing that they're going to have a working group with the U S and NATO to figure out how to get more LNG exports into Europe and so forth. But really when you read, when you read that thing, what they're actually saying is they believe the solution is going to be more renewables, wind and solar not more fossils. And I don't think they've changed that view at all. Anything he's doing here, like this slight opening up of lease sales with higher royalties and so forth, I think it's just temporary. They're not really turning the spigot back on. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, and as you know, Larry, you know, people with a lot of money that are successful in business don't make investments on temporary returns. Right. And this is the problem, the lack of understanding of how a basic economy, especially an industrialized economy, where, where it takes a lot of capital to get started. And, yes, you can make a lot of money, but you don't make it overnight. Um, you have to ride the waves of a, of a commodity economy where the, where the prices go up and down. And that takes a long time. And why wouldn't you want to? So no, I think you're exactly right. And investors know the difference between a short-term term deal and a and long-term certainty, and that's reflected in his rhetoric. It's reflected in his many regulations. I mean, my goodness, he just—he you know, he just did an SEC rule, um, you know, to to, mm-hmm. to require climate disclosures by every company that's that's publicly traded. Um, they just had a, a, a meeting of the uh, of the various agencies related to this 30 by 30. This Crazy idea that that uh, one day the federal government could have some control over 30 percent of the the land in the United States of America. They just met the other day to discuss the next steps uh, on that, and every every agency from the USDA to the Department of Interior uh, to the De- National to the Department of Defense. I mean, last week we had a hearing in Armed Services Committee on uh, that included, of course, uh, Je- General Milley, the Chairman, of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and, and Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense. Secretary of Defense Austin used the word "climate change" five times in his prepared remarks. Five times. We're we're looking, staring at the possibility of a World War III, uh, looking at an opportunity that's opened up as a result of that. Sell more of our clean natural gas to our allies in Europe, making them less dependent on Vladimir Putin, making you know weakening Vladimir Putin's position, and 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 uh, and we're trying to fund enough and provide enough weapons systems from, for Ukraine to win this war, and yet. In the middle of all of that, he does an opening statement that involves the word climate change five times. So there is a different doctrine with these people. So they you know they sprinkle in just enough of what you know what is needed in hopes that somehow that'll satisfy the electorate while they continue on this this other trajectory. Remember, it wasn't that long ago down down at um, in Houston when John Kerry said all well, those couple of million Ukrainian uh, war refugees, that's no big deal. Just wait till you see the 100 million climate refugees. But, uh, that's the big deal. Keep your eye on the ball, guys. You know, this oh. guy, these people are really, really out of touch, Larry.
1: Yes. You know, Rick Perry has said a couple times on this LNG export, you know, if you turn the spigots full on, and we're exporting like crazy to places like India and China, yeah. our clean burning LNG would replace very dirty burning coal in India and China. Uh, of course, it would help our balance of payments, but it would reduce world carbon emissions. So LNG production would actually be pro-Green New Deal, if you will, be pro-lower carbon. And, but they don't seem to have the brains to understand that.
0: I think that if they do, and there are some who have the, the brains to understand it, the problem is they don't dare speak out because um, AOC and, and her Green New Deal crowd, who controls so much of the uh, the Democratic Party today, will just pound them into in, into the ground. It's really a remarkable thing. So I, I know enough Democratic senators and members of Congress to understand exactly what you're saying, and this is applicable to lots of things, including, by the way, the, you know, how about how about uranium and how about nuclear, that the cleanest and most reliable form of electric generation. In the world, you've got even our, our allies in places like Germany that they're shutting down all their, their nuclear plants, and we've acquiesced our uranium production to other countries. This is why – how about the other day when the president announced – um, his desire to, you know, the, his plan to bring more mining of the critical minerals necessary for the clean energy revolution. And 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 guess guess who hates um, hates mining as much as they hate oil and gas and coal? The same people that want the minerals to create this quote clean energy. They they have no concept, or at least not an admission of the reality of of uh, and complexity. Yeah, of what they they want
1: no, they don't want us to dig for it. we have them, no. they just want us to dig for them. Absolutely. Can I ask you one other thing here? Um, you mentioned earlier Iran and the armed services committee discussions and so forth. Where is this crazy business of the Iranian nuclear talks going? I mean, it was hot for yeah. a while. Now I see it's a little bit colder, but I don't know. They're doing it all behind closed doors. Russia's helping us to negotiate. What can you tell us? Um, you know, that's not classified, but what can you tell us about the Iranian talks?
0: So, great point. I, I do think you're right. It's been hot. It's been cold. A lot of it's been happening behind the scenes. I, I suspect on purpose. Many of the things that we come up with, we come up with from sources that we're not necessarily supposed to, you know, hear from or hear about. And so, the, you know, those of us on the committee, as well as Intelligence Committee and Foreign Relations Committee, continue to keep the pressure on to just dump this whole deal. Every indication is they're going exactly the wrong direction yeah. and would empower Iran, which is just might be the dumbest idea yet, except that there'll be another one any minute.
1: Senator Kevin Kramer, thank you, sir. Happy and holy Easter. We appreciate it very much.